the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, it's Aaron Amuchastegui and happy April 1st. Well, I'm recording this on April 1st, April Fool's Day, but that's because we just had a jam-packed March. You know, we did our mastermind out in Austin in March. I know you guys are tired of me talking about it, but we had such a great time. I'm so pumped about how that worked out and the community that we're building. And it's so funny that something that can start with a podcast, then we get a bunch of you guys, a bunch of you listeners to come together and start working together and create this like giant, uh, giant family that's helping each other right now. They're passing like leads back and forth and referrals and tactics. And it's really cool to see what that's growing into. I think so. That was the highlight of my March, getting everybody together out in Austin, Texas. And we just had a heck of a time. Pretty soon, some of those recordings will be available uh, for people and you guys will get to see it. You know, but this is that podcast episode where we go through and we take a little bit of every podcast interview that we did in March. We let you listen to a few minutes of it. So you see if there's one that you want to go back and listen to. So if there's only one podcast that you listen to a month, this should be the one because this one will help you figure out the best of the best. It's like the clip notes of March for the Real Estate Rockstar podcast. So first one up, this is episode 1125. This is the first of what I call my Tesla talks where I was driving in my car. I was coming back from working on a project and I decided to just hit record and start talking about something that I thought you listeners need to hear. So here's a few minutes of episode 1125. When I fail at something, it's really easy to get down. It's really easy to get disappointed. It's really easy to get depressed. I go through and I, and I talk about, man, I wish I wouldn't have made that mistake. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have wired that earnest money. I knew better. Oh, I wish I would have laid people off faster. I knew better. And I can look at these specific things and go, man, that mistake cost me $100,000. And that mistake cost me $200,000. Some really, really big mistakes. And so what that also happens with that is it gets me to where I kind of freeze. I stop remembering how to take action. I stop remembering how to make money. I stop remembering how to run business stuff because now that I've failed again, I've had failure, I've had failure happen. It's tough to go do something and like pick myself up and go do something right again. I, I get a little gun shot, right? And you don't want to get gun shy. So if you've had some rough times, right? If you went from having major revenue to not as much revenue and you've had some rough times and you're sitting here wanting to go, I wish I would have done something different. I wish I would have spent that money different. I wish I would have put more in savings when I was making money. I wish I would have bought more houses. So we all have to do that for a little bit. So we learn from that mistake, but don't stew in it or right? you can't stew in it. Like now is the time that if you've been going through something, now is the time that you have to say like, okay, I have felt the pain. I have learned my lesson. I have, you know, I understand I made some mistakes. I want to sit back and uh, and still be sad about it. But I can't be gun shy anymore. It's time to pivot. It's time to change the business. It's time to figure out what's going to work, even if you have to do it yourself. Some people are having to cut back on expenses and go back to like doing outbound dialing themselves or outbound door knocking themselves or just do, doing something that you haven't done for a long time, something that maybe we were above, something that maybe we had like promoted ourselves and graduated ourselves out, out of and that we weren't having to do anymore. You know, I had like three flips that had been on the market for like six months. I'm sitting back going, man, I really wish these things would sell. And, or one of them, oh, the construction, we haven't made much progress. I really just wish we could get that done. You know, I had to jump on a plane. I had to go to projects. I had to start meeting with contractors. I really had to take responsibility myself and instead of feeling like, oh man, I hired this person to do that and they should have done a better job. Or I was planning to do this and it just didn't, didn't work out. Instead of trying to blame other people, it's realizing, no, I have to take personal responsibility, personal accountability. If anything goes wrong, it's my fault. If something went wrong, it was my fault for hiring, for decision-making, for putting someone in the position, something like that could have happened. Who can fix this? I'm the only one responsible to fix this. I need to rise up to go fix it. So again, if you're feeling anything out there right now, it's time for you to go rise up and fix your business, for you to be the one that can rise up and overcome more than anybody else. The I think that 2023 can be a, break, a great year. You might have a few problems you need to settle first, but go settle those problems. Take care of the stuff that isn't going right and go solve it. 
and rise up because you are meant for this. You are meant for better. You are meant for a big 2023. And as long as you're learning from the lessons, every time I've had a pivot and every time I've had a crash and every time I have lost it all, I have risen back faster and bigger and greater. And 2023 can be that year for you too. All right, if you want to go hear the rest of my Tesla talk, go back and listen to episode 1125. Next up, here we go on the second episode of Let's Get Social with Courtney Hatfield, our new series that we're doing where we're doing some quick tips on social media. And this one is talking about generating new leads as a local area expert with Courtney Hatfield. Here's a few minutes. Let's Get Social. What should people be doing uh, this week? So I really want to touch base real quick on how we can become the area experts in our cities and how people can look to us for not just real estate news, but what's going on in the place that we love, the land that we live. So um, just to dive right in, I... I'll just dive right in. Okay. So um, one thing I really want to suggest to everybody is to start a a series on their social media. They can put it on Instagram reels. You can do it on TikTok. You can carry it over to Facebook has stories and just make a segment basically where you are going to interview a new person each month. So when I say you're going to interview, uh, you don't think that you need fancy camera equipment and you need to be, you know, super professional. You can really just go to these people, go to their place of employment, the business that they own and stand with them and introduce them. And you can uh, bring awareness to the communities. There's businesses out there people haven't even heard about. And then also it comes back to you being the host, delivering that value. Some of the people that you can have relationships, build relationships with, and you can post about would be, I'm just going to read down my list. I have it right from you. Roofers, electricians, plumbers, landscapers, different inspectors, different lenders. You could go to a different restaurant, interview the restaurant owner, interview interview the chef. How long has he been a chef? What's his favorite meal to cook there? What does he recommend people come in and try? You could interview different charities. And I really encourage everybody to set up one interview with a different business every single month and make that consistent. Dive right into the content, honestly, and just express, you know, I'm not just a real estate expert, like I'm your local expert for life. So I'm showing you what events we have going on. We're running this fun contest. Be sure to donate, you know, to this charity. They're running, they have a fundraiser this month. Just making everybody feel like they're included and involved in some way and providing value. I think, uh, I think it's just a brilliant line. Go, I'm not just your real estate expert. I'm your local expert for life. And here, like being able to lead with that, being able to start to make that your signature, have it be how people are ending videos, ending emails, ending things. Um, yeah, people, the, uh, you know, it's a, I, I interviewed a gal that one of one of the things that she does is she provides like all these extra cool things like, hey, if you buy a house from me, you can use our moving vans whenever you want or you can use our bounce houses whenever you want. And it becomes this like fun thing that people mm-hmm. are always thinking about. So yeah. if they think about you outside of real estate, it's only going to help your real estate business and you get to provide value. And it starts these conversations where people are just going to be talking about all sorts of, of other things. People are going to reply and maybe you're going to learn something. Along the way, I think those are two great tips for this week's, you know, let's get social, you know, for listeners out there, the, there is, I I think there is no excuse of not being able to start applying these two things in your business. I think the commitment here is an hour a month to do both of those things. Now you've got something that you're, you send a newsletter on the first week of the month. You're doing the interview on like the third week of the month. You know, there's gonna be a lot more stuff that Courtney's gonna be sharing with you guys over the next few months, but don't wait until she does more. Right. Take these two things. Let's apply it. So that way, before our next let's get social call, you guys have already started to apply it and you'll be able to add the other things into your new systems. All right. If you like that one, go back and listen to the rest of episode. Let's get social episode two. All right. Here we go. Here's a few minutes of episode one, one, two, seven. 
how to build a referral-rich SOI with real estate investors with Harrison Sharp. You know, Harrison was a listener for a long time. He had reached out to me a couple times. We'd been chatting on social media. We had a great talk. Here's a few minutes of that one. Because that's everybody's dream, right? You said, I'm not doing any marketing anymore. I'm getting everything from referrals. Mm-hmm. And you got to say, I, you know, you're getting that because you did such a good job with building these relationships. But so if somebody wants to start today and they're like, man, I don't get that many of my referrals. Mm-hmm. They've done 50 deals. They've done a hundred deals, but like every one of them is a new lead that they're buying. They're working hard for it. And they go, I want to do what Harrison's doing now. What's the, what's the blueprint, man? What's that, what's that startup? What's the process of how do they, how do they start making the transactions happen like that where six months, nine months, 12 months down the line, people are, are going to them for referrals. Yeah. So referral. I, I think, you know, I, I don't, I think you can basically create a long-term sphere referral out of any type of lead. It just depends how hard you want to work at the relationship. Right. So my strategy specifically, I got, um, you know, I got connected with a company. They actually do what I was doing. Uh, they're called homeroom They They do rent by the room basically, but they give me a lot of leads. And I basically connected with the CEO when he was bootstrapping this company and I've done, I've worked my ass off for them basically. And the, the leads continue to come in from us. That's one, that's, that's where I get a lot of my leads from. Obviously that's not, you can't replicate that. Um, if you're like an agent, you got to kind of get, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. I just got lucky right time, right place, but I worked my ass off for this guy. You know, she was a huge risk, but that's really materialized you a lot of stuff. Um, if I'm a new agent, I would basically what I would, or not a new agent, but just someone who's trying to get to that sphere of influence from just the paid stuff. What I would really focus on is if you're paying for stuff or if you're getting, um, you know, you're, you're getting leads from some of these networks that basically, you basically pay them a fee whenever you close. I would do just, I would just try to really focus on developing relationships and staying with touch with, in touch with people and not trying to make it just about a transaction. You know, basically have the mindset to say, all right, if I close a deal with these guys, great, but I'm really going into this relationship with how do I help these people? How do I add value to them? And how do I just maintain like a non-work relationship? And kind of what I've seen from that is just, if you do that, the, 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 the referrals and the leads and all that stuff will just kind of come naturally. So obviously there are a lot of time wasters when you get into those kind of those pay per, pay per lead programs, but there are good quality leads that do come in from them. Um, so, I mean, if, if that's your thing, go for it. If your door knocking is your thing, same type of, you know, it's all in the follow-up door knocking, cold calling, whatever your special holding open houses, whatever, whatever source that you're using to generate business, um, just really focusing on the, on the relationship and the value add to those people. And they're going to, they're going to give, they're going to really give it back to you. And like there are, they, they will give it back to you if you do a good job for them. So, and how do you do that communication? Right. So staying in contact with them, with the people and like making and like developing a relationship with them. Is it like, are you just, do you have a calendar where you just set, send out text messages periodically? Is it just, are you really interactive with people on social media? Like what's, what's a way that like for, you know, for the non big ones, like a normal person that you did a deal for a year ago is sending you a referral today. Like what, what like what sort of communication are you doing with a person you did one deal with a year ago? Yeah. So what I do anytime I talk to someone new real estate related, if I, you know, if I'm at a party or I meet someone new, I'm always trying to add them on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Like those are my three big social media sites that I do that I'm on a lot. And I'm typically posting on and posting content on. I'll typically follow them, try to get them to follow me back. And, you know, if they post something that's interesting to me, like for example, like some people I've met a bunch of people playing golf, like if they're playing a new course and I see that they're playing a really cool course that, Maybe I want to go play one day. I'm like, hey, man, that's a cool course. How do you shoot? Just just conversational stuff like that. Like it's um, that's I mean, that's primarily where I do it. And, and obviously I have a database where I keep people's contact information. But I don't really set like reminders or anything. If I just, you know, if I think of something that, um, you know, that they're that they mentioned to me one time that I think they would get a kick out of or, uh, you know, that we would just it, just just a bonding point. Basically, like if I think of them, I'll call them or I'll text them or I'll send them a voice message on my phone, just something like that. Um, that's, that's primarily how I do it. There's no really, I don't really have a set strategy or I know a lot of agents, you know, they have their, they get their, you know, follow up X, Y, Z, you know, do it like this. It's me. It's not really, I don't really do it like that. I feel like it's more, um, 
feel like it's not as personal if you kind of set like, you know, once a month you're going to do, you know, follow up with someone. If I just, you know, if I'm thinking about them or if I see something that is interesting that they enjoy, I'm just going to comment on them and, and just be supportive basically. Yeah. So what you're talking about there is you're talking about using social media in a very different way than what most agents are saying when they come on here. So most agents are coming on saying, Hey, when you do social media, you need to make sure people know you're an agent and you need to make sure people see you putting the stuff out there and you need to advertise your business and, and, and all those things, which is great. And everybody needs to do that, right? Because if people know you're an agent, they're going to ask you, but you're taking it a step further where you're actually just making sure that you go like, you're just being like honest and like, and uh, you know, in normal other, you're just interacting with people. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Buchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time, and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use Follow Up Boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. I love Follow Up Boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow-up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to follow-up boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Brivity, Sync. I've looked at Boomtown, like Real Geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown. I've used LineDesk. I've used Conversion. And I think Follow-Up also gives you the most integrations mm-hmm. that are simple. And it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform. Yet at the same time, it's still affordable. I do like follow-up boss better just because it you can text from the app and things like that. It's just a little more convenient for me. Um, it tracks everything that I need. I can customize it if I want. If I want to go smart list-based, that's fine. If I want to go task-based, it's fine. I think it's one of the best systems, and it's very user-friendly. It just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race with follow-up boss. Purely objective. Follow-up boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used Follow-Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, you get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. All right, if you like that, go listen to the rest of episode 1127. Next up, my second Tesla talk. So again, I'm driving in my car. Something was coming on with my business. I thought you guys need to hear it. I hit record. Let me know what you think. Here's a few minutes of Tesla talk. Number two, never stop investing in yourself. Another really cool thing that came out of the mastermind from one of the speakers that was good for me to be reminded of it was this idea that when times are tighter, a great way to grow your business or to like be careful is set up a monthly salary for yourself and pay yourself that monthly salary from your business regardless of how much money your business is making. Now that's a really simple concept, really easy, but something that, and something I used to do when I first started in my business and something that I've kind of forgotten. One of the things that happens when our businesses grow a lot and we make lots of profit um, and you know we're just making lots of different money, it's really easy to start celebrating it's really easy to start spending. It's really easy to, to go on vacation. And I do it, right? I have like courtside tickets to basketball games. I've got, you know, I've, I've got, uh, you know, annual subscriptions to uh, soccer and things like that. So I've got all these things that I go do that are expensive. That when the business is going really good, I sign up for all these things. I sign up for the events and activities. We go to clubs and get tables. You know, we go to Vegas a lot. So we spend a lot of money, more or less story. But when times are tighter and you're not making as much money every month, it's that big realization of like, oh my gosh, I'm still spending like I was spending. 
even though my earnings are half of what they were, or they're down 66% of where they were. So cool practice that I'm putting into place right now is I'm looking at my family budget and my budget and all of our expenses. And everyone's budget is different. Some people's budget and salary is gonna be $5,000 a month. Some people's gonna be 10, 20, $30,000 a month, whatever it is. You choose a budget and choose a salary for right now of what you wanna do over the next year, of what's going to be the thing that you're going to live off of. And then that becomes the salary that you pay yourself monthly out of your business regardless of how much volume you're doing. And then as you do more volume, that means you're gonna be saving more money or that'll help you determine how much money you should be investing in like these other opportunities out there. Because one of the big stories of growth, you know, Daniel Del Rio came and shared, great friend of mine, I was glad that he was able to come out to it, but he showed his journey of how as an agent, he would live off of his salary and then invest the rest. And with getting those singles over time, He's built this multi, multi-million dollar empire, owns tons and tons of different businesses that he's done, all from that easy idea of paying himself a salary, which is plenty to live off of for all the fun stuff he was doing, for your salary, for your life, for your expenses, for your entertainment, for whatever it's going to be, however big that salary has been sticking to it. And then any earnings that you earn above that, you have a chance to save for rainy day months. Sometimes we're not getting the volume. And after certain periods of time, three to six months, whatever you have left in the coffers, uh, you'll be able to invest that way. So I think that's a great strategy that everybody should be employing. We forget about that when we become self-employed, we start living off of commissions, or at least I do. And it was really refreshing to kind of hear that again. But even though stuff is down, people are performing well. There's things that you guys can be doing in your business. So this is the time to double down on yourself, double down on your on your education, on trying to meet people, on trying to better your network and better your opportunities. When times are tough, it is not the time to like crawl up into a hole. So yes, take care of your budget, save your money, don't spend it on things you shouldn't, but do spend it on making your life better. So if there's that conference or that mastermind or something else, you're one of the ones that missed ours, the I'm sorry, I wish you would have made it. And if you're having some FOMO now, find something, find a way to invest in yourself and meet some people because now is the time to grow market share. If your business is down, but it's down less than 66%, you are outperforming so many others out there. You're outperforming the market, you're growing market share and you're doing great. So keep working hard out there. You're doing better than you think. All right, if you like that one, go, go, go back and listen to the rest of it. Tesla talk number Two. Next up, here's episode 1128, The Easy Way to Start a Property Management Company with John Matzner. Super interesting conversation. Here's a few minutes of that one. So let's talk property management because one sure. of the big ways we got introduced. So I've been working with Cody Sanchez. We're on a mission to, we're going to buy our first property management company sometime in the next 30 days. We're hoping to actually buy several. We're trying to buy a bunch of them, try to combine them together as this little experiment. Um, you know, there, there's an interview that I did with her that will either have been you know, aired before this one or after this one, kind of about that process as we were brainstorming, what would it be like to go do that? And part of the idea is that most real estate agents have thought about adding property management into what they're doing, or maybe some of them do. So tell me how you got into property management and just kind of tell me sure. about that company. What, what did you find that worked really well in property management when you got into that industry? What, what sure. wasn't working and what did you change? Sure. So I think I'm gonna, you know, tell a quick story that's that was really, really impactful on me, and I heard it from a mentor. Um, I know you're a fan of like masterminds and stuff like that. I'm a big yeah. fan of mentors and things like that. And he told me a story that just blew my mind that I think speaks to real estate agents. It speaks to my background very, very specifically. And he said he had a friend in Chicago. He owned the biggest steakhouse in Chicago. You know, 500 seats. Sinatra ate there. The whole picture Chicago restaurant, right? And every morning when he woke up, if he didn't correctly predict the weather, he lost money that day mm -hmm. because the restaurant business is a tough business. It's just tough. And he, every, you know, cause he had to order food. He had to staff it. He lost money if he didn't wake up and get the weather right because of how many people were going to show up. Right. So he got sick of that. And so he decided and he invested a little bit and he ended up getting like a snack booth 20 feet by 20 feet in Chicago O'Hare airport. He co-branded it with his restaurant and three years later he retired yeah. and it was, and it was no stress, part-time workers, whatever. And that story really impacted me because what table you choose to sit down and play at is hugely important. And many a difficult industry has humbled an expert 
and many a easy industry has made rich somebody who's not that bright. (laughs) And so what led me to property management was a whole host of things, but first among it were its characteristics, just the characteristics of the business itself in that recurrent revenue does better in a soft real estate market, uh, not very sophisticated competition. You know, you're sitting in the flow of information within a local real estate market, kind of all these different attributes that when I think about businesses have a lot, you know, net negative working capital. I mean, some people, you know, if they buy businesses, they know what these terms mean, but like no accounts receivable because you take your fees right from the rent. It has all these attributes that don't require you to be nearly as good. Like you're not waking up and like getting in a knife fight in a phone booth every day, like that restaurant guy in Chicago, or like me running a pretty big construction business. I mean, every day in that business, it's just like another explosion, right? And so that's kind of led me, that kind of led me to property management. And what I liked about it and what I think me and you and Cody and all of us are kind of talking about is what most real estate folks know about property management is actually wrong in that they picture property management as uh, toilets, termites, and tenants, right? Mm -hmm. Just like plunging toilets, guy with a droopy marble or red, you know, running around collecting checks, you know, chasing them, unloading the mousetraps, right? But the fact is, is that there's this new generation of property management companies, I call them like property management 2.0, that are all run with software. They're all run with global talent. They're all kind of very hygienic. (laughs) They're not like these old, it's like not your daddy's property management company. And what that's enabled, which is really incredible, this study just came out, the National Association of Residential Property Managers, NARPM it's called, um, the top tier, top 25% of property management right now is dropping 32% to the bottom line after paying a general manager. For a service business, with recurrent revenue to drop 32% to the bottom line after paying an operator is like, if you've bought businesses, I know you have Aaron, that's just like a gaga number. That's like, yeah. Hey guys, a quick commercial break here, but don't worry. This one is only going to run for the next two or three episodes. I talk so much about the mastermind. It's one of my passions, getting everybody to come hang out in Austin where I get to meet you guys. Well, we just had it, you know, a few weeks ago and we decided for next year we were going to do pre-sales. We're only selling 70 tickets total for the whole country. And that way we keep it nice and small where everybody meets everybody. And the end of it, it's like a big giant family. Well, we put out the pre-sales last week and in the, during the pre-sales, we sold more than 60 tickets. So there's less than 10 spots left, 10 spots left. If you want to join us for the mastermind for next year, we're putting the date so far out there. You've got no excuses um, to be able to know that the date works. You can put it in your calendar now. And we also set up a payment plan for people to break it up into four easy payments. So if you're one of those people that have thought about going to the mastermind, have never pulled the trigger, now's the time. And it's for it's for March for next year. But you got to go sign up now if you want that spot. I don't like selling. I don't like advertising. So we figured we would knock it out quickly. We'd knock it out, you know, this first couple weeks in April for next year. So instead of working on that, we're going to focus on value. If you do join the mastermind, you get to be a, uh, join part of our private Facebook group where we do monthly Zoom calls, where we do tactics. On those calls, they're really small. There's like, you know, between 10 and 20 people on those. So you get to ask lots of questions and learn from experts. So if you are interested in signing up, go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com forward slash mastermind, realestaterockstarsnetwork.com forward slash mastermind. Go lock in your ticket. We have less than 10 spots left. You can break it up into four payments. So that way it is much easier to to be sure to join. And I promise you, it is the least expensive mastermind out there for the type of stuff that we're doing. You know, the GoBundance masterminds that I talk about that I'm a part of cost five times what we do for this. And I try to deliver twice as much value. All right, back to the podcast. Whoa. Right. Yeah. Net, net <laughs> yeah. profit for just pure ownership when you're not actually operating it yourself. Like those are Correct. margins where somebody's like, you want to say, but like, yes, but then if you had to hire a CEO, if you retire Correct. and you pay somebody else in your place, what's the real margin? Because that's a self-employed type margin if you're still working. All right. If you like that one, go back and listen to the rest of episode 1128, the easy way to start a property management company with John Matster. 
Next up, this is probably the second or third time I've got to interview Dan Lesniak, and we talked about low-cost ways to create your own inventory. Here's a few minutes of that one. Like, kind of just unwrap that process. So somebody finds a buyer, the buyer says, hey, I want to do this, but I can only pay this much for it, but that we can't find a seller that's willing to, to take that for it. Yeah, How usually it, it usually would mean you have to find a seller that has a life event that's compelling them to move. So as I'm thinking about a lot of my off-market deals, I know like, um, you know, one of them got transferred, job transferred to the other coast. Another one was in a condo and had a baby, had to go, you know, move to a single family. Um, another one, I know there was a divorce. So I think, I think a lot of the ones I found life events were dictating that they sell and people, people didn't really know what the price was. You know, they knew what the last one traded for, but the last one might've traded four or five months ago. So there was this lag and, you know, you didn't know, like you knew you'd get more than that, but you didn't know how much because, you know, there, there just wasn't a lot of volume, but when, when there's, demand for it and not a lot of inventory, you're going to have some floor on pricing. So I think like people that are looking at April, May, maybe June 22 pricing, if they had to sell now, they might be disappointed. But if you're outside of that peak, you know, you're, you're, you're probably okay. It's just most of the, most of the sellers I found then were they had life events that were compelling them to move, which that might be what we're in now, right? With 3% interest rates, like you're, you're probably not going to sell unless you have to, unless you, you know, a life event is compelling you to move and you need the equity out of that house. And when you would do that first, you would essentially find a buyer client and that buyer client would say, I want to own a house in this neighborhood. Yep. And you're like, there's no houses for sale in that neighborhood, but now there's only, but there's only 50 that meet your spec. So I'll go door knock. And cause the reality is, is like most of them would say, no, 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 no. And then somebody says, well, like, yeah, we're actually, we think that we're going to have to do that pretty soon, but we've heard it's not a very good time to sell right now. Like, so those, the concerns yeah. that have kept them from so, going all the way and you're catching them at that moment. I think so many sellers are, right now are like, man, we should have, we're saying about properties, man, we should have sold these in January. Man, now we're stuck. Like, and I think the idea of being able to just very slowly go, you might, you might be surprised, like due to the lack of inventory, you might be surprised at what prices have done. I know there's been a lot of talk about, you know, price going down. You might be surprised that at least gets the call, uh, you know, gets the foot in the door. I love that first strategy for people out there right now. Cause I think so many of you agents listening, you have to go create your market yep. and you have to go create your volume because it's not, it's not just going to come back uh, the way that it was for all the reasons we talked about you know, for the, the stuff that's, but it's, it's low inventory, but low transactions. And there's a big gap between what sellers want, what buyers can pay in a lot of markets. And we'll see, you know, where that pushes. And, um, so what's something like when you think back to, so you've been an agent now for 12 years and you got to see, like you came in at, at a difficult time. You were an agent during some pretty boom times, like 2012 to 2015 was pretty big. And then, and then we had this normal kind of market, until about 2020 and then in 2020 the market just went bananas but like looking back what's one or two things that you wish you would have known when you first got licensed like something I, you've learned. I never really paid a whole heck of a lot of attention to the market itself like I don't I don't look back and think oh 2012 to 2015 was a boom and then 8 15 to 19 was uh, normal like I you know, just hearing you say that, I'm kind of like, oh, was it? You know, I, I, I almost like didn't know. So I think, I think as a real estate agent, no matter what the market does, there's always enough business for you. It's just a matter of, you know, getting the right, getting the right leads, offering the right, uh, having the right conversations with with buyers and sellers. You know, making sure your your expenses make sense for your revenue. It's like if you if you do all those kind of like basic things i think i think it just almost doesn't matter what the market does right if you're if you're an order taker if you're low sales skills then your business is going to be a lot more market driven than driven by you I and mean, there's a strategy in that 
right? There's, there's really a strategy in that of your idea of, you said, I don't really pay attention to what's going on in the market. And, and I, and I can see some people going like, well, Hey, but you're supposed to know, but no, no, the reality is, is you're not going to take the news out there in the market telling you, Hey, this is going on. You're not going to let that impact your drive. Like you're going to see what's happening in your world and then pivot in order to get the deals that you want or the ways that you have to get them. All right. And if you want to go hear the rest of my conversation with Dan Lesniak, go back and listen to episode 1129. Next up, episode 1130, doing developer deals with Karina Mejia. This was a really fun conversation. We've kind of met on social media. I saw some of the stuff that she was doing. I asked her if she wanted to come on the podcast. And we had a really cool conversation about some really unique stuff she's doing. Here's a few minutes of that one. The best thing you can do is represent an investor where you're going to help them buy it. You're going to help them subdivide it. And you're going to help them sell it. Like that's, that's the ultimate because you're getting a bunch of transactions and investors. You could get 10 transactions a year instead of one or two. Is that most of your business right now? Or is it, are you also like a lot of buyers that aren't investors? Like what are you yeah. doing the most of personally? Yeah. So personally, when I first started, I was really buyer uh, heavy and a lot of first time home buyers. Um, now I've really have gravitated more to being uh, more equal. So a lot of on the sales side, a lot of what I do is that new development uh, stuff. And then on the buy side, it's a lot of first time home buyers, but also investors. So I'm a big believer in financial freedom. And if I can help other people see the same vision that I have, I'm all for it. And so I love when my like first time home buyers turn into investors um, and kind of get that real estate bug. Uh, so a lot of what I do is walk people through, how do you analyze a rental deal for the first time? And how do you get comfortable with these terms that you might have never heard before? Cash on cash, cap rates, things of that nature. Um, so pretty equal at this time. Yeah. Cool. And you started to buy your own investments? Correct. I bought my first property when I was 22 years old and I have 12 doors now. That's awesome. Are they all in the Boston area? No. So half of them are in Boston, which those I've uh, have been able to acquire through owner occupant financing, low down payment options. And then the other half, so six units are in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, I just happened to meet an investor through a mastermind who uh, was a property manager in that area. We connected and he was kind of my deal flow uh, source. Like I, I love rentals. I think everybody should have rentals. Uh, I think it's great that you have 12 as an agent because you, would, you wouldn't believe how many agents I interview that don't have any invent, that, that maybe own their own house. Um, but I've met a lot of agents that don't own the house that they live in and for sure don't have any investments yet. So if you were going to like touch or inspire just some of those listeners, right? Like people out there that are thinking about it and they're nervous, like, Hey, should, like I want to be an investor, but maybe the market's turning or I want to own a rental, but is it really worth it? Like the long-term financial freedom plan that you have. Cause like, cause so I have a, I have a, a gazillion rentals now. Right. But I started buying them in 2015 after I had like made a bunch of money, then lost it all. And I was like, man, I worked way too hard the last five years to have nothing to show for it. So 2015, I'm like, I'm going to work really hard for the future and maybe like delay some gratification um, with that sort of thing. So what do you, how do you feel about all that? Like you're on your journey, you're in the middle of the journey. You've been going for a while, right? Like you've got 12, <laughs> yeah. like, like the, and, and it's that process. What do you think about it? Yeah. So I heard this quote the other day that your life is either easy now, hard later or hard now, easy later. And I'd prefer the latter. <laughs> um, yeah. The way I see it, I love what I do. Like I could, you, I work all the time. I work too much. People in my in my personal life complain about that, but um, so I love it. I'm I'm tuned in. But I know that I didn't come to this earth just for this, right? And I know that I want to live a life in abundance. I'm somebody that I don't come from money. I come from first generation, uh, hardworking parents, um, immigrants. And I'm so blessed to make the amount of money that I do and to live the life that I do. And I want to, like, I, I would be doing a disservice to my parents if I did not live out my dreams. And living out my dreams entails a portion of my life where I don't wake up every single day just to work. And so that's what I, and everybody's why is different. And I think as a listener, you have to digest what is your why. For me, human relationships, that's partly why I'm in real estate, but human relationships, human connections, I want to spend my life doing the things that I love with the people that I love and having abundance in my life that comes through passive income and not just active income. And so I, I would encourage everybody who's listening to think very 
deeply about the things that they want in life and to create an action plan and work towards them. I know that's easier said than done, but um, I think I think we should all be doing that. All right. If you want to go hear the rest of my episode interview with Karina, go back and listen to episode 1130. Next up, episode 1131. Another unique one. This is with Luke Leasing selling pre-construction real estate projects. He does something really, really interesting. He has, he's not the guy that's listing. He's not the listing agent of record for these condo projects and these new build projects, but he goes out there and he figures out a way to market them as if he is. And he creates these like custom websites for these new developments. And so whenever anybody's coming into town, he's able to, he focuses just on pre-construction. So many cool tactics where he's grown a huge business. But here's a few minutes of that interview with Luke. What have you seen happen in the market just over the last couple months or, you know, since interest rates changed heavily you know, last year. We're finding that because construction costs are increasing and labor's increasing, builders are not reducing their prices. What they're doing instead is they're increasing the amount of incentives that they give. So in pre-construction, you have your typical incentive that we always work with, which is like cap development charges, which are closing costs at closing. You have the right to assign, meaning you're allowed to flip the paper prior to occupancy. And you have the right to lease during occupancy, which means you can rent out your unit prior to closing. We, we always have those three. But instead of builders reducing prices because of rising interest rates, we're seeing that they're adding cashbacks at closing, optional rental guarantees, free maintenance fees for a year. And on top of that, for realtors, this goes back to what I was just saying a moment ago, they're offering higher commissions. So normally commissions on a pre-construction sale is 4%, but a lot of the projects we've been working on are closer to 6 to 7%. So if my average sale is 620 grand and I'm getting 7% on that compared to a year ago where I was getting paid 4% of that, I, I just have to do the same 98 transactions because I know my commissions are 3% higher. So on these sorts of projects, I guess explain to me how it works. Do you have to do, you, do you essentially get contracted with the builder where you're one of a few agents that can sell their project or is there, or are they like listing it and they, they let any agent bring buyers to them? How Great question. Work? So not every agent can work a project. So there's about 80,000 realtors in the GTA, the greater Toronto area. I'd guess there's about 100 to 200 that have genuine platinum access with builders. Platinum access meaning the people that get the, the, the exclusive incentives for their clients, the exclusive pricing, all of that stuff. There's only 100 to 200 agents that have that type of access. All the other realtors, they're like, you know, like your B-class type of realtors that do do quite a bit of volume, but not enough to get the platinum access. And and the way to build that relationship with builder with the builders is to essentially sell for them the things that they can't sell. Because there's some units in their buildings that are tough to sell. And if you can clean, what they say is clean up the inventory of, of the units that are tough to sell, then the builders are going to like you and then they'll give you platinum access for the next project. Yeah. So the, are there still two agents on every deal? Is there a buy side and a sell side or is it, are you just kind of representing both the builder and the so buyer? So there is a buy and a sell. The, the, there's only a handful of co- companies that do the, the listing side, like the selling side. And, and I don't know what their splits are like. I'm sure it's not your typical two and a half, two percent 2%. I'm sure it's much less because since they're listing like 300 units in a building and they're just promoting it, it's really the buyer's agents that are doing all the work, which is my, my side. I'm, I'm on the buying side. Got it. So you're on the buyer side. There's listing agents for the property that the builder hires to put it out there. You're going and finding people, but the people that are reaching out to you uh, that are becoming your clients, you're representing them as buyers and you're saying, hey, let's go check out these uh, construction projects. But really you do that because you don't have to show them. You don't have to go check that. You don't have to go meet with them anywhere. You're able to email them over the stuff. The project's not built yet. So you're going to look at floor plans and renderings and things like that. They can look at it from their house instead of from an office they want to do. How are you finding those clients? How are you finding those buy- those buyer clients that want to go buy the new so builds? At this point, like because the company I'm licensed with, REC Canada, you know Jazz and Laura, our, our owner and our vice president, we've yep. been around for 19, almost 20 years now. We have an existing database of, of, of clients, people that know, like, and trust us. However, because I'm a solo agent as well, like apart from the stuff I do with Jazz and Laura, I have my own business. So there's two sides of the, the way I sell. There's with REC, Jazz and Laura, where we already have existing clients. There, what we do is we do a lot of events. We have an event coming up next week and uh, we're selling a pre-construction project just west of Toronto. There, we're gonna invite 13,000 people to come join us. And there, we're gonna, you know, let's say 200 people show up, 1% of them buy, you know what I mean? Like, or, or, or 10% of them buy, 
20 deals are, are done under the belt. It's kind of our numbers. So that's, that's, that's that side with REC. With my own personal business, because I want to grow my own brand, not just REC and Jazz's, what I do is a lot, I do a lot of digital marketing, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Google ads. It's funny because Jazz and Laura are actually not very bullish on that type of strategy, but I am because I'm a new realtor. I've been relatively new. I'm licensed for four years now. But because I don't have, like I'm in my 20s, because I don't have 20 years under my belt, I don't have people that know, like, and trust me as well. But as a new realtor, I got to get my own business. So I do a lot of Facebook ads, Google ads, events. I do a lot of events on meetup.com and Eventbrite. I get in front of people a lot. Like that, that's your main job as a realtor. Just get in front of as many people as possible. And I've been doing that every single way. All right. And if you want to go hear the rest of that one, go back and listen to episode 1131 with Luke Leasing. Next up, this is our last episode of the month. It was episode 1132. Now, this one was pretty fun. While uh, Shelby Osborne and I were, were jogging, every morning of the Mastermind, a group of us would go out and run like a 5K, you know, the or, or a few miles. And like, you know, between five and 10 of us made it every day. The last day of the Mastermind, we actually did an official 5K and we got a lot more people to join us. But one of the days when she was jogging, she asked if she could take it. She asked if she could have an opportunity to interview me. She thought that listeners might want to hear my story because so much of the time we're interviewing other people. So I said, okay, we turned it around. I gave her the mic and she interviewed me. And here's a few minutes of that first one, episode 1132. It's part one of Shelby Osborne interviewing me. And it's how one major mistake triggered massive growth. Here's a few minutes of that one. During summer of my like sophomore year of college, um, I'm just starting to get into some really bad stuff. I'm starting to get into some really bad drugs, you know, really bad partying, you know, same stuff that's happening before. And I would justify it by going, hey, I'm paying for my college tuition. You know, I'm on my own. It's also like fun and I'm smarter than everybody and all sorts of other things. And like the quickest long story short. So one day, like this is August in uh, August 2000, 23 years ago. This actually came up uh, in a loan deal I was working on about a year ago. Um, Yeah. So it still comes up every once in a while. So August of 2000, the, a buddy of mine that I have been partying way too long with for way too many days. um, You know, I'm giving him a hard time about money he owes me. And he, and he says like, Hey, I know how to get, I know how to get your money back to you today. Um, And this is the crazy part that everyone always like jumps out of their seat. He goes, let's go rob a bank. Now a normal person at that point would just laugh and say like, okay, like next, like, what's this happen? Let's go back to partying. But the me type of person is like, Ooh, tell me more. Tell me more about this idea. Cause you know, and, and then, so this other thing that kind of happens in that, like your flex just now, totally like that is what happens. So what happened was there's these two kids that have been partying for too long and both of them wants the other one to think they're super hard, super hardcore. We're like, we're so badass. And so both of us, both of us is hoping that the other person is going to say, this is a bad idea. Neither of us wanted to be the person to say this is a bad idea because we both had to be the hardcore one. And so unfortunately it was like this stupid game of chicken where the long story short is in the middle of a day in August of 2000, the, um, my, I drive my buddy to a bank. He goes in and uh, robs the bank with a gun, with a face mask, comes, jumps back in my car. We drive off and we're like, I I think we're mostly excited. We're also like scared. We're also like, did this really happen? You know, there's times in your life where you're like, what's going on? We drive up to his house and um, we're thinking, oh my gosh. That was like, that just happened. We're so like, we're so hardcore. Now, mind you again, when I'm like, when he gets in my car, I'm expecting him to come in and say, I didn't do Just it. Just kidding. I didn't do right. it. Like totally. That. Yeah. He jumps in and I remember saying, whoa, I just kicked my monitor. I remember saying, um, oh, you did it? He's like, yeah, go, 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 go. And I was thinking, holy shit. Like, so oh there's this, so, so many emotions as I'm telling the story right now, it's bringing me back to all these different levels of like trying to figure out what the real feeling was. I don't really know what the real feeling was. Yeah. But pretty quickly afterward, by the next day, it started turning to this like fear. Now I might get some dates and like times wrong, like how long it lasted, but pretty soon after, um, I remember my dad reaching out to me and said, Hey, there was a, a Honda CRV that was reported being nearby there. And he knew that I was up to no good in my life. Yeah. And he knew I was in town. I wasn't supposed to be in town. I was supposed to be living in Arizona at the time. And he was like, so what happened? Was that your car? What's going on? And that was my car. 
That was the kind of car that I drove. And so the, at that point, um, I went and turned myself in. My dad had gotten me an attorney and the, you know, we were thinking like, okay, we're going to be able to get through this. Now, there was a bunch of denial going on at that time because I was still yeah. pretty drug induced in my life. And so the crazy part was we get down there, uh, we start talking to the district attorney and, um, and he's and like, what he tells me is, Hey, here's what's going to happen. You are going to, um, you're going to like, tell us what happened. You're going to admit to everything and then you're not going to do any prison time. I'm, you'll end up getting a felony, but we'll be able to take it off your record. You'll do like 30 days in jail, um, but you can do it like on the weekends. So it'll be no big deal. Uh, but we're going to send, but we're going to send you to rehab. And I'm like, and my attorney's like, yes. And I'm like, yes. So the, so we go through that process and it's like four days of interviews because also what comes out at that point, like part of the deal is like, Hey, you tell us everything. You're not going to get in trouble. So I'm like, I also sell wheat. I also did this. Cause I'm like, I'm going to get a clear slate right now. All the things that were in the back right. of my mind of like crimes I've committed. I'm going to just tell them. Confession. Yeah. It was right. So I'm like, this is going to be so cool. Well, yeah. They were not expecting that I was going to have three days. Like they thought that I was a good kid that maybe made one bad decision on one bad day. So that didn't really gotcha. help my case, even though. So I appreciate that. It's funny in life, all of us, we can get like judged by our weakest moments. Hey, real estate rock stars. We only have a few minutes left in this episode, but before we get to the grand finale, I just want to say, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You know, podcasts are obviously free. You don't have to pay to listen to the podcast, but if you could pay one thing, if I could charge you one thing to listen to this podcast, what I would ask you to do is go, please make a review. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or on Apple or Android, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go give me a review of the podcast. I read them, I listen to them, I try to make adjustments. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a ton of bad reviews on the sound quality or the number of advertisements, things like that, and I've really tried to dial in to add value for all of you guys. So please, please, please go do a review. If you wanna get a, a copy of the toolbox, of the stuff that you know, everybody that comes on the show, they give us some tactics, they give us something that we put in what we call our toolbox. And so to get that, you go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com. When you get there, click on the, the toolbox and you get access to the free gift that every person that we interview on the episode provides. There's things like, you know, uh, listing tactics, how to do a presentation, you know, how to do a newsletter, all sorts of cool, fun stuff. And if you want to talk to me, go find me on Instagram at Aaron Amuchastegui. Ask me a question. I talked to so many of you guys on there. All right, back to the show. Thanks again for being a listener. Right. We can do some amazing, amazing things and we do one wrong thing and it can go really far. Totally. And, but, and that's life. And people should like really think about that. Like as they're making decisions, because you, th you see these people that are like famous coaches and famous people, like the whole cancel culture and things like that. And some of it's justified, some it's not, but it's really easy to make a bad decision and a bad decision that can last a long time, you know, and again, it turned out being good for me. So I was 21 years old going, you know, getting sent to a, a Southern California prison, which was a wild, wild experience because it's very race driven. You know, in my life, I never had to talk much about race, but the there's 150, you know, white people there uh, out of 2,500 inmates that are there. And so the, definitely the minority for the first time in my life, um, they're really in, you know, intense politics and all sorts of wild things there. But I had some really like good experiences that happened there. Uh, and some of them was, it was one of the first times in my life I had to learn to grow up on my own with nobody that could help me, nobody that could bail out. I was, you know, there were times when I was younger, I'd get pulled over like with weed, but they'd be like, oh, we recognize your, your, I, your dad. I have, a, your I have a storage unit at your dad's place. Like the cop would say, yeah. like, good, to see, good to see you. See you later. And so like, <laughs> so it was the first time in my life I had to be just me. I couldn't be propped up. I had to learn to meet people. I had to learn to, to be who I was. Right. I met some lifelong um, friends when I was there, I got to learn all sorts about politics. But one of the biggest things it did to me, I remember sitting in there like at, you know, 21, 20, my, that like first Christmas when I was 21 years old, just really going like, whoa, this should be like an amazing time in my life. And maybe one of the first times that I really got like, this is all my fault, like such an amazing time in my life, but I'm sitting here because of bad decisions I made. I got to make up for this. Like I was supposed to be somebody special. I was supposed to be somebody amazing. I was giving all these tools and instead of using them for good, I use them for evil. Like I need to really like, like make up for lost time here. 
I need to really kick it into high gear. And so that was the point when I started like t- taking online college classes. The I was the GED the GED teacher when I was in there, which has I met some of my craziest friends that like when race riots and stuff would happen, those guys would make sure um, that I never got any, into any trouble. Like I had the most giant guys. Um, they're still my friends to this day uh, that made sure like nothing bad would ever happen to me um, when crazy stuff would happen. But I, I ended up... Oh. Go ahead. <laughs> well, so you're talking about how you were sitting there in Christmas and you had this like realization. It came over you about, you know, how you were given so much and you're essentially wasting tons of opportunity. But how what? Because a lot of people are in bad situations and they'll sit in it for years and they'll con- they'll blame people till they die. So what do you think was the how did you snap out of that? Was there any like book or friend or was it just you and your own thoughts? What did that look like? Yeah. It's such a good question. And I hope that, I hope that so many of these answers give it justice. Cause just as you're asking that again, I'm like, yeah, those moments are so important. Like we will all have moments of like extreme failure, right? And sometimes that's going to feel more extreme than others. Sometimes it's going to be losing a relationship. Sometimes it's going to be losing a business. Sometimes it's going to be losing lots of money. Sometimes it's going to be making decisions that like got other people fired, um, you know, and, and you see other people like experience loss because of things that you've made, you know, friends that have killed themselves that like the last time they tried to call, I didn't call back and like all sorts of stuff, right? We all have these like experiences that happen that get to be pretty devastating. And, um, and I think for, it's really important to actually live in them for a little bit, to live in them for a little bit, because without regret, we don't have learning. So you have to have some pain and some regret and really think about what went wrong. And you have to go through those moments of going, man, if I get a second chance, I will do this, this, and this differently. So I think there's this combination of like learning the lesson and really reflecting on it. The benefit of having a lot of time to reflect on it and not having a way to cover it up. I think the people that stay in stuff for a long time are also covering it up in all sorts of different ways. By like totally. by partying a lot, by like getting distracted by things, by like relationships. There's all sorts of ways to like not have to deal with the issue. But I think, you know, it being um, the holiday time really amplified the reflection point of going like, man, I'm super, super lonely right now. Like, I'm super, super lonely. How did this happen? And like getting different letters and different things. And so I think I think it had been on my mind and stuff I was thinking about. And then that getting amplified by uh, by the holiday and then also like just doing some journaling around that time. So I think for yeah. a lot of people to snap out of it, there's like, we're going to be giving all these different opportunities where emotion is like uh, amplified, like around holidays, it happens around like birthdays. It happens. It could be like around an extreme event. That's why like you like Tony Robbins events or like masterminds, like things like that, like emotions can get amplified to the point that makes it happen faster uh, because yeah, people, totally. people do tend to sit in it longer than they need to. And, and I think if anybody has, is like, has been going through something, you have to ask yourself, like, have I learned my lesson from this? Like, what lesson am I supposed to be given? Like, how is this supposed to happen for me? What lesson am I supposed to be learning right now? And sometimes when something bad happens, you're not there yet. But if you're there in your bad experience and you've learned your lesson, you're like, yeah, I actually know my lesson that I was supposed to learn here. I know why this happened for me. Then it is absolutely your duty and your time to step out of it and move on from it. Like if the lesson has been learned, you don't get to sit in it anymore. You're only supposed to sit in it until you learn your lesson. And the moment you've learned your lesson, like you owe it to yourself and everybody else and everybody that you get to teach that that lesson to later, that now's the time to snap out of it and move on. Dude, that's so fucking powerful. Like all of that. All right, if you want to go hear the rest of the interview where Shelby turns the tables and she's got the mic interviewing me with no rules. She asked me ahead of time, what are the rules for this one? I said, there are no rules. Ask me whatever you want. We had such a fun conversation. So if you want to hear the rest, go back and listen to the rest of episode 1132. And that's a wrap. That's the end of the best of March episode. I hope that you guys had a great time. You know, it's the first quarter of 2023 is done. I think now the, uh, you know, a lot of the damage that's been happening in the Western part and the Southern part of the U.S. where the market has slowed down. You know, it feels like people are starting to figure out how to uh, find their business. You know, like I, I had told people before, if, if you're average right now across the U.S., if your revenue is down 65%, if it's down less than that, you're above average. But there's also these crazy markets like in Florida and the East Coast where the market's still going up. We saw price year over year price increases. So depending on where you are, listeners, I know that, you know, I'm trying to bring in 
uh, interviewers from all over the place so we can help cater to the people in the South or the people in the West uh, that are seeing price declines and are really having to struggle, but also people in you know, Florida or the East Coast where prices are still going up to help them figure out how to differentiate themselves in this competitive market. So as always, real estate rock stars, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.